Welcome to Breaking News with Ben Hunt, Jack Forehand, and Matt Ziegler. Before we start, let me remind you what the show is not. Breaking News is not a show about fact-checking. Breaking News is not a show about saying whose bias is the one and only correct bias. And Breaking News is definitely not a show about calling out fake news. Breaking News is a show where we look at today's top stories and have a conversation around our favorite critical question, why am I reading this now? Drawing on the headlines we're tracking at fiatnews.com, join us as we talk about what's collectively making us tick with clear eyes, full hearts, and this obligatory disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast is advising you to buy or sell any security or to do anything with your money. Seriously, you should only act on investment advice from someone you know and someone who knows your unique situation. We are not that person. Hello and welcome to Breaking News. I'm Matt Ziegler, joined as always by Jack Forehand and Ben Hunt. Say hello, kids. Hello, kids. Good to be back. We've got a zeitgeist this week on the election 2024, and we're going to emphasize some of Trump's ongoing legal issues. We've got a tweet of the week, if not two, on memory issues and all the presidential candidates. Is this a problem? We've got Jack. A dumb question from you about Elon Musk's pay package. Rumor has it, this is not about you inquiring if your breaking news salary can be the same. <laughs> but we are talking I'll take about an incentive-related package, Matt. Uh, if you want to give me one, <laughs> I'm going to give you YouTube options, YouTube subscriber options. No, but this is about executive comp and narrative land, and it's such an interesting thing to unpack. So I love that you're asking about this. We have a mailbag question about this Goldilocks scenario in Fed policy and inflation assumptions. I've got a cultish creative or a cultish corner on the acting techniques Michael Caine credits his entire career to, which is fascinating and a summary to follow. But first, our big story, 13D research, it's live on Epsilon Theory, it's out from behind the paywall. There's this report, it's called, How Does Technology Rewire? The intricate circuitry of the teenage mind, question mark. I thought that it was just as bad as us realizing giving kids smartphones was giving, you know, guns and cigarettes to kids for the last 10 years. I, I didn't have a cell phone or really until I was, you know, 19-ish years old. Smartphones weren't a thing till I was 25. I knew it was weird for kids. I didn't know it was this. Ben, how did this article end up in your lap? Why'd you put it out there? Start start me there, because this this really kicked my ass this week. It did for me too. It did for me too, uh, Matt. So the 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 note is written by uh, a research group called Thirteen D, and which was started years and years ago by a guy named uh, Kirill Sokolov. And so it's if you're in the the business of investing. You've probably heard of Kirill Sokoloff in 13D. It's, uh, yeah, he's been around forever. Um, you know, I, back in a previous hedge fund, we've subscribed to his stuff and I really enjoyed it. It's one of those wonderful, uh, good, deep research they do. Lots on specific companies, right? Which is why it was so useful. I mean, you can get the specific company research, but it was like interesting thinking and research into, I don't know, water in the United States or, or something like that. It's just one that I, that I happen to remember. And it's written in a very engaging and, like I say, thoughtful way. Um, 
Carol and the, the whole 13 group there, it's very proprietary. You know, they used to have all these big warning signs on, you know, do not forward and all that. And I get it. And I feel that same way about our paywall, right? I mean, my line, after all, we are not communists, uh, to use the Godfather quote. But a, uh, a friend of ours, Brent Donnelly, uh, had been talking with some of the guys at 13D, and they're saying that they would like, they had written a piece, written a research note about smartphones and kids, and they really wanted to get more widely distributed because they've really built a business around keeping stuff behind their paywall. But here's one where they wanted to have more of a reach. So Brent had the idea that he would republish it, send it out to his group, write a little introduction for it. And he asked me if I would do the same, that we would do this kind of one-two punch to get it out there in a way that really deserves to be out there. So all credit to Carol and the 13D team, both for writing it, but also for, I'll say, getting out of their comfort zone a bit to say, let's put this outside of everyone's paywall and let's get it out there as much as we can. Because to your point, Matt, it, it kicked my ass also. You know, one of the big things inside of this is, and Jack, you know this better than anybody in the quant research side. We've learned a lot about, so neuroplasticity, the way our brain rewires itself. And there's stuff you can control, but there's a heck of a lot you can't. Our understanding of that plasticity of our brains has evolved tremendously in the last five, 10, 15 years here. Since these smartphones are in every, everybody's hands, let alone everybody's kids' hands. Maybe Jack, just for one second, like when you think about, oh, we're going to go find the small cap value factor in Indian publicly listed securities. Like what would you need to do to say, this is a good idea versus the giant social experiment we've been running for the last, I don't know, 20 years here. Yeah. You're talking about in terms of like the amount of data we would have to, yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. find that. Yeah, you know, that, that's a challenge with this is, you know, we, we obviously, in our world, we want to have massive amounts of data to, to be able to conclude anything. Um, you know, we typically like to deal with like 50, 100 years of data to do anything. And, that, and that's one of the challenges here is we don't have that. Um, we're, we're starting to see some really, you know, terrible things in, in the data that does exist. And like, there was so much eye-opening stuff for me in this piece. But yeah, that, that, that is a challenge is we're just probably beginning to learn about this. Um, you know, we're probably going to learn a lot more terrible stuff as we research it more. And Ben, I want to ask this then to you. So there's, there's two sides of this push for this stuff. So everybody go read the piece. Number one, this goes without saying, but number two is there's the smartphone companies, the wireless data providers and everybody else who has a story about, Hey, this is great. Dad, if you love a smartphone, we are going to tell you how much you're going to love that unlimited family plan for all four of you to have a smartphone, a smart tablet, and three other devices for those road trips. So on one hand, we have all these companies who want to do this thing. But on the other hand, we have this growing body of research saying, this might not be good for humanity. How do we make sense of those two narratives? I don't even feel like they're colliding yet. I feel like unless it's in your household, you don't even know. Let me describe the reaction we had to the piece. Please. And because I think that kind of helps frame this a bit. First, Matt, I know you don't have any kids, right? So, so, so Jack, tell the audience, how old are your, your, how old are yours? So they're, they're five and nine and I am right in the middle of this. 
Um, yep. This is like the daily battle that I fight. Yep. And so my kids are older, four daughters. The, the youngest is 20 now, 19. I get it confused. So 19 to 27, four daughters. And uh, so we've been through this. Now, Jack, you're entering these years where it is the hardest because parenting's really difficult. I mean, that's at the crux of this, Matt. I mean, parenting is really hard. It's always been hard. And it, I've been had nothing to judge saying whether it's harder, but it's always harder. I know that it's harder in a world of social media and smartphones because I, I know that, um, I'll speak to myself, right? I know that my world would have been very, my life would have been very different if online gambling had existed. If internet gambling had existed when I was in college, I know myself well enough to know that my life would have gone down a very different path. Same with I actually online stock trading. My, my life would have gone down a very different path. Crypto trading and the like. My life would be very different today. I would have gone down a very different path than the path I ended up in. That's not, I'm not saying it would have been awful or bad, but I'm saying it would have been very different. Very different. Because I know how my brain is wired. And I know that the stimulation that I get from gambling and trading and the like, that's, that's, that's how I'm wired. In the core of this is this idea of stimulation. Yeah. And I think this is the problem. We don't fully understand when we've introduced this new medium modality of stimulation, yeah. just how much that affects the feedback mechanisms that literally set up how we form habits, how we learn where our curiosity is directed. Right. It's, it's weaponized stimulation that we get from, and I mean, and I really mean weapon. I mean, we've talked a lot about this. We all know about this social media, video games. I mean, it's all of this is designed to drive engagement. Engagement is a word for, is a, is a pleasant word for you know, neurotransmitter stimulation. That's what engagement is. That's all it is. And, and, and everything, our, our whole economy is built on creating that. And now we're giving that in unfettered form to our children at increasingly early ages. And I get it. This is what I'm saying. I get it. it you know, it's the, every other kid's got it. And okay, you can resist that for a little bit. There are really good things with having a phone and a communication device for your child who's at practice after school or something like that, you know, that they can get in touch with you. They can reach you. These are real benefits and real things. And yet we are giving our children raw engagement stimulus that absolutely physically rewires our brains. That's it. And that's and, the, and yeah, that's ahead, the scary Jack. word as a parent, like with kids that are five and nine years old, the word, when you start dealing with the word wiring of the brain, 
Yeah. That that is like a scary wake up call because you know you always talk about this idea of like the dopamine hit you get from your smartphone. I can tell you, like if kids have free time, that's what they're drawn to. Now my kids, my kids don't have phones. They're five and nine years old. They don't have any social media, but they do have the tablets. And yep. when they have free time, they don't go out and play basketball in the driveway like no. I used to. This is where they want to go, and it's a constant battle to keep them away from it. So, and I know like everywhere, this is not just with me. I mean, I know all you know all their friends, parents are dealing with the same thing. It's like everything is drawing them to these devices and you know it's terrible for them and you're doing everything in your power to limit them. It, it's a really hard battle. It's it's a really hard battle. And and frankly, that's, I'll say, that's the dominant reaction. It's one of, sorry, I you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Yes, I'm going to, forward the article, I may, you know, maybe I'll read it and I'll say, ain't it awful? And yet it's so big and it's so pervasive to your earliest point, Matt, about, you know, this is the way our entire economy is built around these devices. It's kind of, you end up, the reaction is a shrug is like in this awful, but what are you going to do? And I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, I am. I am so grateful that my children are older so that A, I haven't had to go through COVID with school-age kids because that's really hard. And I haven't had to go through, or I'm not going through now, the, the weaponized smartphones and social media uh, while they're under my roof and at a really early age. You know, I, do I worry already about them? Of course, still about them? Of course I do. Of course I do. I worry about myself. I worry about myself. But at least I feel like certainly my life is on a path where that central path of my life was not shaped or by these devices and the dopamine stimulation. But I know how hard it is, and I know that that we are shaping our children in this in in this way. It can't. But but the response has been, well, what are you going to do? And I don't have a good re response to that. And I, I was thinking a lot about that myself. And and I sure. think like I'm going back to when we talked about polarization, like political polarization on this show, and like the kind of the ideas you've built epsilon theory around this whole idea of the ground up. And and I think the first thing to do for me is to look at what I'm doing in my own house. Like, what can I do? You know, I understand, I understood this is bad before I read this piece. I understand more about how bad it is. What can I do in my own house as a starting point? I can't solve the problem. I mean, we've got tech companies that are making tons of money by making the problem worse. But what can I do in my own house to try to make it better? And I mean, that's the only thing I, I mean, you may have a better answer than me, Ben, but that's the only thing I can, I can think of is like start from the ground up and try to do your best. We're not going to get rid of these things. The kids are still going to use them. I can't take them away from them completely, but I can certainly do things to better manage it. So I'll, I'll tell you what you have to do. You have to be very brave and brave, not in the kind of easy bravery that we have, but you have to be brave by uh, being a more of a parent and less of a friend to your children. That's really hard. That's really hard because we all want to have our children as our friends, we want our children to like us. We don't, it pains us to see them 
going through withdrawal because that's what it is. And it, and sometimes you can be brave and you can go through this and it doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's like they find another way around it and it, it, it creates real resentment that can last for years. It can damage a relationship, but I, but I, I think, I think that sort of bravery as a parent is more necessary than ever. And it's not like there's some gold standard or here's the playbook. It's just, yeah, two steps forward and one step back and just doing the best you can, but never forgetting that you've got to be the brave one here. Well, for the sake of all of us and for the sake of bravery, brevity, <laughs> bravity, <laughs> Let's jump to the zeitgeist. I want to talk about, because what happens if we stack this stuff up? This is what this boils down to. Let's get an election 2024 discussion on the table. All things are fair game, but I think in the crux of this is we're in that narrative sweet spot. We're about to go into the Trump legal cases. Is there anything that's stopping what's still looking like a Trump presidential victory later this year, Ben? Victory, who knows? I still think, you know, I think he's winning, right? I think that's, that's where the, the inertia is. I, I think, you know, it's going to be Biden and Trump again, as we've been saying all along, and the, the system is systemically geared for them to run against each other. And so that's what we're going to get. Um, I think what surprised me so much, talk about dopamine hits or serotonin. I guess that's the other one, right? We get more serotonin from this, the, uh, or norepinephrine we get from this, not serotonin, norepinephrine, which is the, you know, the, uh, when we, when we have a rage engagement, right. As opposed to a dopamine, ah, yeah, the norepinephrine is the, ah, the fight or flight neurotransmitter. Um, we're just going to get so much more of that shit over the next eight months. I, it, it's just, it's just hard to even fathom. And what I mean by that specifically is less around the campaigns or the court cases, although increasingly the court cases are <laughs> now, and, and, and honestly, in terms of the New York cases, particularly the, the, you know, the commercial real estate case, it's like, come on guys. I, I mean, I, I, Yes, of course there's a political, these, these cases were clearly brought for political reasons. I, I mean, am I saying he's not guilty and liable or whatever we want to frame it on the commercialistic cases? No, that is not what I'm saying. And I'm saying these were totally politically motivated cases. The stacking... It's the stacking Sorry. of the, that's okay. The stacking of the political motivations here. So it's like, we know that these things are politically motivated in their presentation as this year progresses. That almost removes the conversation from talking about, like, it's not like we're just talking about a case that we're all separately removed from. Now it's about positioning these cases in the context of this election that's coming up. Yeah. But, but here's the, yeah, here's the problem with it, Matt, is that the, the, Two cases, the, well, 
the two, the three cases really. So the, both of the federal indictments, one on Jan 6, one on the misuse of classified documents. I think those are real and important and true and not a political. Yeah. Is there, is there politics involved? Of course, there's politics involved, but, but the, the, the essence of those cases, I do not think is political. My heart of hearts, I do not think it's political. I actually feel the same way about the Georgia case, the Georgia state case, which has the advantage of the Georgia state case of, you know, you can't pardon yourself on, on, on that one. The New York cases, well, the cases brought by, you know, the New York attorney general, I think those are purely political and are, and here's why they're damaging. Because if there is a politically motivated case, like my view, these New York cases are, um, it makes it easier for people to say, oh, these others are politically motivated. And so they are dismissed. And that is where we are going with this, right? So that's, that's, that's absolutely where we're going with this, Matt. And the, the narrative world You know, tsunami of this, of where we're going, is just mind-boggling to me. For example, so Putin finally, after, you know, basically torturing the guy for years in the gulag, finally kills Navalny, right? This is on the heels of, you know, Tucker and his useful idiot interview with Putin, then it goes to, you know, Tucker's again, useful idiot. Isn't the Russian system great? Don't you love their grocery stores? And then it goes to Navalny's killed. And so it's, well, you know, so what now it's that, oh, you know what? That's exactly what they're doing to, 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 to to a, the political opposition that, 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 that what Putin is doing or did killing Navalny, you know, that's how they're trying to crucify poor Donald Trump. And that is out there, right? I, I mean, you get, you get these, you get guys like Newt Gingrich who is tweeting about, well, you know, what, what's happening in Russia is, is a lesson. This is the, it's the political persecution of Donald Trump. That's exactly like what they did with Navalny. And it's like, I can't believe this. I, and it makes me angry. As you can tell, I get worked up about it. Um, the, uh, Jonah Goldberg, uh, wrote up, you know, I'd liked his tweet about this. It says the. My, I'll have to take it exactly, but my, 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 um, disdain for so-called conservatives who shit all over the United States in order to prop up Trump or, and, or Putin, his disdain is bottomless. Well, so is mine. Because it's just my, my, my disdain for 
Newt Gingrich, which, you know, my disdain was already pretty great because he was definitely on the election denial. Yeah, not because there was overt ballot fraud, but, you know, the, the elections were rigged, right? They weren't, they weren't fake, but they were rigged. And now it's this, well, you know, what, what, what they did to Navalny, that's just what they're trying to do to Trump. He's just another martyr. And I just, I, to characterize the United States with all of its flaws like that, it just, my, my, my disdain for it is just bottomless. But man, that is where we are going. And when, that is when you carry it forward, I mean, it's a really scary thing. I mean, if you think about it, there's going to be a large portion of our country that's going to be fed this stuff all the way to the conclusion of this stuff and is not going to accept any conclusion, regardless of the facts, right, of what comes out here, if it goes against Trump. Yeah, and it's not, it's not even kind of being fed, right? Because we're, we're fed stuff all the time. You know, both politics are, are feeding us stuff. What, what I object to are the the actual human beings, the people who supposedly are American patriots and who love their country and who go shitting on their country for these political points. It's my, my disdain is for those actual individual human beings who are doing this. And most of them we have this big disdain for because are, are, are on the MAGA right. There are some on the Democratic left who I have similar disdain for. But right now, and what we're talking about right now, is for these people who are shitting on the United States for the, a, because they think, oh, Biden is so terrible, I've got to prop up Putin or Russia or or Trump in ways that I know it's false, but it serves a greater good. And that's, that's the kind of crap I've just got zero tolerance for. Sorry, they get worked up. No, it's, it's under, understandable. Um, I'm wondering though about one of the things I've been thinking about a lot recently is, is what this means in the real world. Um, in terms of, so we're going to have an election. Let's say, I mean, right now you're kind of thinking Donald Trump will probably win that election. In January, if, if that's the case, let's just play it out if he does win. Like, it, he'll be the president of the United States. He potentially is going to be convicted of state and federal crimes that would typically carry a prison sentence. I just don't, I, I can't think through in my own mind, like, how this works. Like, he takes office. There might still be ongoing trials at that point that he's, like, supposed to be at, maybe. He might be convicted of something that would typically require, like, jail time. I just can't even play out in my mind how that, what the implications of this are. And I mean, maybe you don't know either, but I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, how do you even think through that? He can pardon himself on the, uh, the federal cases. Um, the state case, I mean, do we really think that state cases go anywhere in Georgia after, you know, Fonnie Willis has, you know, self-immolated? I, I, I mean, you have an affair with the guy that you appointed as the special prosecutor here. I mean, what the hell? What the hell? 
I, and, and I'm not saying that she should be removed. I, I, I think, you know, I listened to a lot of the testimony there and the like, and it's not, I don't see a smoking gun that they were together before she appointed him, which would be, you know, that there's a fraud element there. I find it very questionable that, you know, she says, oh yeah, he paid for the vacations, but I paid him back in cash. Right. Look, is that possible? Absolutely. Right. So no, I don't think she's going to be removed from the case, which would totally end the case. But it, does this damage her ability to prosecute the case? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And which, will the defense bring this up? Should the defense bring this up? Of course they should. Of course they should. And again, it just makes me so angry that here you, Fawdy Willis, you've got this important role to play in the freaking history of our country and you fuck it up like this. Makes me so angry. Really, really does. Because now I think, I think it's going to be very difficult for her to win this case. It's a case that was going to stretch out for a long period of time anyway. And now I think it's going to be very difficult for her to win it. Because after all, at the, at the end of the day, so much in her judicial system relies on the faith and the trust that the state, the prosecutor, is acting in good faith. That when they tell you something, the court, the jury, the court and the lawyers can rely on that, that they are acting as truthful and honest stewards of the public trust. And if, if this event doesn't shake that confidence, you're kidding yourself. Of course it shakes that confidence. So I think it's going to be very difficult for her to win this case. And it just makes me so angry. So anyway, I'm sorry, Jack, again, I'm getting upset about this stuff because it really does upset me, but you know, you're, you're the question of what happens, what happens is if Trump wins, he pardons himself on the federal cases. And I, I don't think he has a lot to worry about from the Georgia state case anymore. I really don't. No, I mean, it makes complete sense for me to be mad because I mean, that, that Georgia state case might end up being one of the most important ones. And you know, also one that might've had merit and you have all these external things that have nothing to do with the facts of the case coming in and potentially affecting the outcome. So, um, you know, I, I would, I would be mad about it as well. I mean, it, you, you want these things to play out based on the facts. You don't want these things to play out based on the affair, you know, the district attorney is having with the prosecutor or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Jack. I mean, I, 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 I've, I'm, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not an equivalency thing to me. I mean, I, I think that, I think that, that Biden is a poor president and a worse candidate. And I think that Trump is immeasurably worse. So there we have it. <laughs> so I think we opened with young people in social media. We've now talked about some of the problems of middle-aged folks and their social interactions and how they mess up court cases and other things. Jack, the tweet of the week. Let's turn towards the older demographic for a moment here. 
Well, this this is an interesting tweet to me because Ben, the the types of unscripted conversations we have on breaking news apparently are not these conversations that are going on at Biden's press conferences. Um, apparently, it's a little bit different there. You know, this this is a tweet from Stephen Miller, which, by the way, first I thought was the Stephen Miller who is not the greatest human being who was involved with Trump, but that is not who this oh, is. Oh no, 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 no. This no, is no. a very different Stephen Miller. So I felt much Seriously. better about it um, after after I looked at the picture and realized it was not that Stephen Miller. No. But but anyway, he he wrote down. Um, he has a picture of a, a reporter's badge, which we'll put in here from from there and basically on there is the question that they're going to ask um as well as like the order they're going to ask it and he wrote they had it down reporter q a question one and gave biden the questions in advance they agreed to do this this wasn't a major media scandal they they all ignored it just like they all ignored jen Psaki accepting an nbc contract while still acting like she was taking questions from nbc from the white house podium absolutely pure corruption of the press and no you guys suddenly realizing you can't hide this anymore isn't an excuse and what struck me about it is the same thing you tweeted, Ben, which is this idea that despite all this scripting went on, the press was still Mr. President, Mr. President, like like and they knew exactly who was going to get called on. And they still put on the whole show, which is completely crazy to me. Yeah, it really is. So, so look, I, I the. But the fact that these press conferences with a president are highly scripted should not surprise anyone. Right. I mean, do we really think that the president is looking over there and happens to remember, you know, the fifth reporter's name and where they're from and calls on it? No, all this stuff is done in advance. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the, the president is coached on, okay, here are the people you're going to call on. Here's the order you're going to call on them. And here's the question they're going to ask. None of that surprises me. This did not start with Biden. Right. You're, 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 you're telling me that, you know, that, that Trump was just, you know, I mean, did he have press conferences? I think maybe he had one or two. Right. But, you know, this has been going on, I think, since probably Clinton. My kind of guess when this sort of scripting of press conferences really began with questions in advance, here's who you're going to call on, the order you're going to call on them. That didn't surprise me. What surprised me, Jack, to your point, is that the the participants still act like it's it's right, you know, Mr. President, Mr. President. It's like what kind of self what what kind of lack of self respect do you have that that you're and I I get it. You say okay, this is the game I've got to play to get access, right? I've watched enough West Wing episodes. I know that's how it works. Right, but but it's like this. It's just it's just this play acting that becomes part of the job, I guess. And it's just I, I keep going back to that 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 final season of Succession, right? Where you know Logan Roy talking to his kids says. I love you, but you are not serious people. Right? We we're just we're just not serious people. This is this is going on, and we do it to ourselves. So yeah, that was the tweet of the week for me, Jack, for sure. Is it just it's just an access thing? So why they go along with this is they want to get called on. They want their questions to be answered. Like if you, if you don't play the game, you're not going to get that. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, like, can you imagine what would happen if? If one of the people who was on the list asked the question, if they went off script and they asked 
a question that wasn't pre-given? I, I mean, I would be so tempted to do that, right? All right, I'm the third person to be called on, and he's expecting, you know, the president's expecting me to ask about, I don't know, Ukraine, and I say, Mr. President, let's talk about, you know, the border. And I mean, I would be so tempted to do that. But can you imagine what would happen afterwards? You would never, you would never get called on again. You'd never get called on again. And remember, that's the job is to get called on so that you can stand up there as a representative from your news organization and get the screen time. So everyone plays along with the game. No one asks a question that wasn't already pre-scripted because then they get access denied. That's what, so much of what drives our world is access. And that's true in markets too, by the way, guys, you know, this is right. You know, this is right. So it's not just media. It's also investing. It's politics is so much of our world is driven by playing the game to get the access. Access and standing adjacent to the action, right? Like that's what this is. If, if I'm the whatever news anchor. And I yep. get up there and I throw the curveball question. I'm not getting invited back. And how many dollars, how many things are on the line? Because I wanted to be cute for a minute. And there's only room for one person to be the bomb thrower. There's only one, right. one room for one person to be, what is his name? Ducey or something like that for Fox. You know, he's the designated anti-guy, right? That's his role. That's his role. That's, yeah, that's his role. It's like being the cleanup hitter on a baseball team. You just got to show up and do the job. Jack. Let's talk about Elon Musk and how undercompensated you are at breaking news. <laughs> What's your dumb question this week? Well, I'm, I'm ready to negotiate now that you've got me going, Matt. Um, oh, good, but, good. And I'm, I'm going to deliver a 10X in breaking news or something and, you know, tie my entire pay package to it. Um, it might be the way to go, but. It was interesting for me with this because I'm, I'm not a Musk guy by, or a fan by any stretch, but I, I was just thinking about the whole idea of his pay package, you know, which just got struck down um, by the Delaware court. And, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, he took basically a heavily, heavily incentive. I mean, there was nothing, I don't think, other than incentive, you know, based compensation in, in his plan. And it was tied to, I believe, the stock price as well as some of the fundamentals of the company. Um, and, you know, he was on CNBC, I think, when they announced it. And, you know, the anchors had said, you know, they they said that they didn't think there was much of a chance he would hit the incentives that were in there. And then eventually he did hit the incentives that are in there. And it ended up being an incredibly, incredibly massive pay package. And so there's a lot of controversy around it now. And, you know, I, I was kind of taking the position of defending Elon a little bit here. And I wanted to get Ben's take on it for, from the perspective that, I mean, he did, he did kind of to some extent what you want CEOs to do. Um, he, he took only took compensation if results were generated for shareholders. He did generate results for shareholders. He got a huge amount of compensation. Um, you know, to me, at least that's better than the guys that are making you know, hundreds of millions and, you know, their stock price is horrific um, and they're producing no return for shareholders. So I, I just wanted to get your take, Ben, on the whole thing. You know what Tesla stock's done over the last three years? Not as good as it once was. It's down. Yep. Last three years, it's down. Stock's down. Um, so what we're talking about is this there's a window of time there, right? Where, and I'm still convinced that there was um, mischief afoot, right? In terms of, you know, 
related parties and options and the like to drive up the stock price, uh, story creation, narrative creation, all of that. I can, I mean, that's my belief, just a personal belief. So I, I think that there was, um, a lot of effort made to get the stock to hit those incentives so that he could get the massive pay package. And whether that's good management or not, I'll, I, anyway, I think, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, based so much less on the actual fundamentals and workings of Tesla, the company, and so much more on, um, ways to get the stock price up to hit those targets, uh, during that period of time. And then once the targets were hit, then you get kind of, I think the real Tesla where the stock's down or the, I mean, I mean, I mean, the stock's been, aside as you know, or listen to guys have been short Tesla and it's like, you know, he's like, you always say, oh, you can't short Tesla last three years. It's been a great short. It's a great short. So there's that. All right. Let me just sort of put that, but, but the real issue is on the pay package itself and the pay package was struck down because the Delaware judge and Delaware has a reputation of being very protective of shareholder rights said that the, the, the package was granted, um, without shareholder protection, right? So the, the, the package was granted by the board, but the board was not, um, yeah, my friend, the board was boards in on it, right? The board are insiders. They're friends of Elon's it's, we're all going to get massively rich because the board as well gets an enormous proportion of their comp and the like through the stock options. It was the board and Elon saying, here's where we're all going to be massively rich. If you had polled the individual shareholders and asked them to give a direct vote, I bet they probably would have gone along with it, but they didn't. Okay. They didn't do that. What they did was here we are a non, um, shareholder allied, but Elon allied board. And we're going to give ourselves and Elon a package that we actually think we can hit by, again, when I talk about the, I don't want to go into the depth how I think they kind of acquired it, did that, but I think that's what's going on. So is it, you know, is this the sort of thing that a court should do? I do think that a court should concern itself with governance. I do. I do. And I think that a non-independent board that gives itself, itself and, you know, and the, and Elon, this sort of, of compensation, I think that's a problem. Um, it's why I want the companies I invest in to be under, you know, Delaware jurisdiction. 
obviously if I was in Elon's shoes, I wouldn't because I don't, the, the, the shareholders are a, the public shareholders are a nuisance for him, which is why he's always talked about, oh, we're going to get, you know, the $420, you know, going private deals is why he hasn't gone public with SpaceX is why he hasn't gone, you know, why he's took Twitter private because he can, he doesn't need the public market access to capital. Through the SpaceX secondaries, he can compensate the employees. He can keep it private. I, I mean, that's what SpaceX does, right? I mean, every every year, a couple of secondaries roll out where they sell it away from public markets to give liquidity to employees and the like. And to Elon. So he's... In, in his other companies, he's stayed away from public markets. He didn't have that luxury with Tesla. He tried to treat Tesla as a private company for his private benefit. And the judge said, no, you can't do that as a Delaware company. So, you know, I'm, well, I don't know, Jack, I, I get your point. But the, but, but the, to me, the larger point is Tesla is a public company. It's not a private company and you can't treat it like a private company. Certainly not if you're incorporated in, De in Delaware. Yeah. You know, and I didn't ask it to necessarily have an opinion. I was kind of thinking of my own, on my own view, like, <laughs> is it, you know, in theory, at least a lot of the stuff in there is what you want CEOs to do, but then you get well, into practice and you realize like, yeah, it's not behind the scenes. It's not exactly what you think it is in terms of him aligning himself with shareholders by incentivizing himself to produce an outcome for them. Well, as it was definitely not a dumb question, though, Jack. So you're going to have to work on it for next time. I mean, I, we, we, we need some. Well, I'm, I'm trying know, to get him dumber here if I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get a little dumber, please. I'll, that was I'll keep dumb. working on it as much as I can. So, Matt, it is, it is that time of the episode. Uh, time, time for my favorite part. You're, you're a cultish corner. What do you have this week? So I did a post this week on Cultish Creative, and it's about the very fine actor, Michael Caine, famous for his acting chops, lots of great roles. But it was this interview that I saw Sahil Bloom shared this clip, and it was about where he traces all of the success down to this one expression. And it was this expression, use the difficulty. Love that. It's so good. So the story goes... Early on in his, in his career, he's supposed to enter onto the stage for this thing and a chair gets knocked over. Now it's blocking his path to get out onto this stage. And as a young actor, he's probably nervous and he can't get through. And this other actor basically looks at him and says, use the difficulty. This is your lesson. If it's a comedy, fall over the chair. If it's a drama, pick the chair up, smash it. But you got to use the difficulty. And, and. He goes on to explain later, he says, there's never anything so bad that you cannot use that difficulty. If you can use it a quarter of 1% to your advantage, you're ahead. You don't let it get you down. I, Matt, can I interrupt a second? Because this- Please do. I, I remember you writing the, or you wrote this and I said, we've got to talk about this on Breaking News. Because there are two aspects of this, because I've never had it encapsulated like you did, but it just rings so true to me. The first aspect of this is, uh, I remember, uh, you know, my wife's a dancer and so I know nothing about dance. And so we were watching some multi, you know, Brishnikov was dancing and I, and even I said, oh my God, he just looks 
He's amazing. Weightless. Right. Right. It's, right. 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 And, and then I watched another dancer and, and I was like, okay, yeah, he was good. And my wife said, well, actually, Barishnikov was nowhere near, I mean, as incredibly talented as he was. He wasn't as good of, a, of an athlete as that second dancer you saw. But you, you thought that performance by, by Barishnikov was better, didn't you? And I said, absolutely. And, and she said that what Barishnikov learned early on was he learned how to make his dancing look like he was overcoming a difficulty. That if, if you watch it really carefully, before he takes some big jump and some, you know, double spin in the air, it's like he like draws a little breath, like he's like he's stealing and the winds to wind up. Like it's, it's there. Yeah, it's it's yeah. almost <laughs> imperceptible. But once you're looking for it, you see, oh yeah, I can I can see him. He's making an effort to show that this is that he's overcoming a difficulty. As opposed to the second dancer who was so athletic, it was just it was effortless. It's it's the audience responds so positively when you overcome a difficulty, which was the advice to Michael King, you know, use the difficulty because that's going to make the performance better. The audience will respond more positively to it. I see that in my own writing. When I've got a block or I'm, it's, it's just not coming together. Sometimes I'll write to my audience saying, you know what? I'm having a hard time saying this or I'll, you know, I'll be giving a talk and I'll, and I'll say something like, you know, I, I had a problem with this or, you know, and, 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 you know, I, there was a failure for me of this, or I'm not able to, and that, that always draws people in. I just, anyway, using the difficulty, I, I've never heard that in those phrases and that, that terminology. Oh my God, that rang so true to me. These little Barishnikov moments in, uh, Ben's writing, we're all going to be looking for these now. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, uh. The response to this piece was really great. I got a lot of really wonderful emails and messages from people. And in the piece, and I try to say this too, it's when you start to look for this, you can see it everywhere. You can see it at the ballet with your spouse. You can see it in your own work and in your writing. I know that very deeply too. And it's this, the cues you look for is, I see it as an offshoot of the the medium is the message, the medium is the massage, whichever way you want to think of it, yeah. where the type that you're in gives you the tone for your response. And so when difficulty is presented to you, one way you start to look for how to use it is you think about the setting you're in. And back to that idea, if it's a comedy, fall over the chair. If it's a drama, smash it. It's gifting you the tone on how you can deal with this difficulty. How not to be the reporter in the White House press conference and goes, ha ha, that's the wrong use. So being aware on how you're going to rechannel the, the difficulty to be your response. The, the second big one that I, man, this one's all over in my life right now is anytime you're confused, get curious first because finding the tension, I love this Burstikoff example, maybe too much, like understanding I'm not the most athletic person, <laughs> but the untrained eye does not know I'm not the most athletic person on this stage. Therefore, if I can just lean into the thing before the athletic expression, what does that do? What does that do if I give that extra thing that makes it something more? So confusion or not understanding the setting, get really curious about it and get really curious about the tone defining that tension to then deliver the resolution you want to give that puts the right taste in the audience's mouth. 
in the last part and anybody involved in any creative endeavor, Jack, I know you can relate to this too. We're all trying to put stuff out there. The difficulty, that chair in the way, how many people does that keep out? How many does that people does that keep ever from even going on the stage? Cause that chair is too much. Ben, how many people say, I want to write something. How do I write like you write? Or how do I do this thing? How often do you hear that? All the time, all the time, man, all the time. And, and life, life always puts chairs in our, in the doorway. Right. And it's in, to your point is how you, you overcome that and you don't, you don't have to overcome it by making it look effortless by saying that the chair wasn't there. Thank you. You overcoming it by saying, yeah, there's a chair there and this is a problem for me. And so this is what I did. So it's, it's, it's all of that, Matt. It was just the best. It was, it was, it was one of your best pieces. That was really good. This was, uh, yeah, for me, this was like podcasting. This was being on video. Like yeah. I, you know, at the beginning, like at the beginning, you want to pretend like it's not an issue. Like I hate being on video. <laughs> I still hate being on video today, but like you want to pretend like it doesn't exist, you know, and, and nobody's going to notice that I, I, that this is a problem for me. But then when you acknowledge it, you know, and when you use it to your advantage, it becomes, it becomes a much more effortless thing. I mean, I, at least it has been for me. Like, and I've done these, you know, hundreds of times now after struggling a lot at the beginning to do it. But th- that's how it's translated, like, into my life. It's how we connect with the audience, right? We don't, we don't ignore the difficulty. We, we deal with the difficulty and we share our dealing with it with the audience. That's how you make a connection. That's and also how you just show up. It is how you make the connection. Yeah. Just one other point, you know, we do, we do this thing where we look at what you've been on, Ben, where we do this thing called show, show us your portfolio, where we look at investors, you know, great investors portfolios. And by far the most popular part of that is when the investors talk about something they've done wrong, something they've dealt with, they acknowledge their failings. They talk about how they overcame it. Like people see these people as like way up here and they don't have these problems, but you immediately become relatable when you talk about that and you acknowledge your problems and you, you are just like everybody else. You're trying to overcome these things. hundred percent. The humanity of that is massive. That's a status conversation for another day. Look, flame the status seesaw. That's coming. All right. I got a summary for us, gentlemen. You ready to sum this one up? So we started talking about smartphones, social media, and weaponized stimulation. You can write that word down somewhere. So how do we balance the good benefits to outweigh the bad challenges of this stuff? I think that's really important, Jack, the way you raised this idea of, uh, there are good benefits. There's good stuff we want our kids to have access to. There's just lots of bad challenges that we face on the way. So how do we raise the question of how do we raise pro-social fabric within these social mediums? Jack, last highlighter on your point, and Ben, you brought it home too. What can I do in my own house? What can I do from the ground up first? That's the answer to not just shrugging our shoulders and say that was a Not so fun read, but I guess I'm glad I know about it. We talked about the uh, cases and the political ramifications regarding the election. Man, the, the big takeaway for this for me is just how do you not become desensitized to the stakes and remember to be a human first because you have to act in good faith as citizens and all the way up to we should hold our presidents to the same, same logic. We talked about the fun of I mean, I wrote the middle, middle school plays of presidential pressers <laughs> and you know, 
the alternate ending to the emperor new clothes, if we want to think in these terms, the kid doesn't get invited back to the next parade. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Don't forget that. We talked about Musk's pay package. We talked about how, you know, basically the pay package is always going to target, you know, what do we want to set the game to win? And the really interesting thing in Delaware was you don't treat a public company like a private company. Governance matters, the balance between shareholders and stakeholders and all the people involved. It actually matters. And that's part of this conversation every time. Last but not least, beyond learning that Ben is our resident Barishnikov of writing. Jack, you're our resident Barishnikov of uh, podcasting. I'll give myself you know, B-list Sex in the City era Brishnikov status. Um, (laughs) Still pretty good. Still pretty good. Uh, This message from the beginning. Our brains are going to change over time. We can't be desensitized to these things that happen because narratives, stories, the water in which we swim, it all just is revolving around us, but it's evolving us while it's evolving around us. So, How can we be, and this is the ultimate question, this is what we're here on Breaking News to talk about, how do we not be anti-people or anti-humanity and how can we be pro-social and pro-human in these things? Because we are evolving, that is a feature, not a bug, we just have to evolve in ways that benefit all of us. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Thank you. It's great again. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you're watching breaking news so more people can find our show. If you know another clear-eyed and full-hearted individual, why not share this episode with them too? Like we said at the top, the media is making us tick, and it's our job to talk. Follow the headlines at fiatnews.com. Follow Ben at epsilontheory.com and at epsilontheory on Twitter. Follow Jack at validiacapital.com and at Practical Quant on Twitter. Follow Matt at sunpointinvestments.com, cultishcreative.com, and at cultishcreative on Twitter. <laughs>